God bless you. If you stand for the reading of the word, our Bethesda kids, you guys can be dismissed right now. I know you've got some fun activities going on to celebrate next door. It's great to see everybody here today. Welcome to Christmas at Bethesda 2021. It's great to have everybody here, but I would like to say a huge welcome to all of our guests. If you're a guest in the house, we want you to know that you are so very welcome. We are so grateful to have you. It's grateful to have Shauna in the house today. We're, this is McGuire's mom. We're so glad that she is in the house today. And, and the rest of you, just great to have you. Absolutely delighted. At Bethesda, we're all about Jesus, people, mission. Jesus is first. People matter, all people everywhere. And we're on a mission to get Jesus to people. We're going to baptize Callie in a few minutes. Isn't that great? Talking about getting people to Jesus and Jesus to people. So without further ado, Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going today. Familiar territory, but I've got a twist. I promise you, you want to pay attention. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. They go on down to verses 9 through 11. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Today I'd like to title this message. It's the theme of our Christmas service today. It's simply, Turn Your Eyes. Turn Your Eyes. Let me say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your word. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If I travel by myself, and I do a lot of traveling. If I travel by myself, Kevin, uh, here's what's going to happen. I, I like to say I fly under the radar. That means I can travel cheap. I'm going to eat cheap. I'm going to sleep cheap. It's not going to cost very much. I, I, I'm very cheap. That's one level of travel. If I'm traveling with Valerie, well, it's a different story. It's not like we can't travel cheap. It's just not. As cheap, not as cheap. That's another level of travel. In a little over a week, Lizzie and Brendan are driving to Mississauga, Ontario, Canada for Christmas. For those of you who don't know, this is my daughter and our son-in-law, and they passed her over in Zachary, and Brendan's Canadian, and his family's all up in Canada. And so uh, this is a 20-hour trip with three kids, four, two and a half, six months, they got to have passports, cross the border, deal with COVID protocols. It's a big deal. Not to mention the trip itself, you know, eating, sleeping, bathroom stops. It's just an enormous undertaking. And you got to prepare, pack, map the route. It's expensive. That's another level of travel. 
A few years back, Valerie and I took a trip to Israel. We went with a, a company called Koppel Family Tours. It was great. There were about 30 of us, I believe, on this trip. Koppel Family Tours handled all the logistics, and it was complicated. International travel out of LAX, passports, visas, hotels, meals, all of it. It took a lot of planning, a lot of effort, attention to detail. That's exponentially more complicated when it comes to travel than DH, taking a little road trip somewhere, whole other level. And as I was preparing for today, it dawned on me that Valerie and I went to all that trouble to go to Jerusalem in 2018, and 2,000 years earlier, the guys that we just read about went to a lot of trouble to go to the exact same place. Think about that. The same place. And it was a lot of trouble for them. First of all, there was certainly more than three of them. Now, we assume there were three because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We'll deal with that in a few minutes. But this was a group of wise men from the east. Could have been 8, 10, 15, 20, we don't know. But it, 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 most, it most probably was not three. They're called magi. That's from the Latinized form of the Greek word magoi. It's translated from the Persian. And, and the magi were a hereditary priesthood of the Medes. The Medes and the Persians kind of merged, so to speak, and these, these priests from, from the Medes side proved to be experts in the interpretation of dreams. So Darius the Great put them over the state religion in the Medo-Persian Empire. They were, they were dreamers. They could interpret dreams. So they, they got a prominent place, a, a melding, if you will, of politics and religion. Now, you may recognize the name Darius or Darius the Great. We read about him in the book of Daniel. He came into power after overthrowing the Babylonian king, Belshazzar. And Belshazzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar, had his own group of wise men. And Nebuchadnezzar had recognized the dream interpreting expertise in a man named Daniel. And, and so he had given Daniel this title, Rab Madge. Rab Madge. I kind of like that. Rab Madge. It's Daniel 4.9, Daniel 5.11. It means the chief of the Magi. Daniel was the chief of the Magi. So when Darius came to power, he kept Daniel on, utilized his experience and his expertise uh, in Persia, and, and Darius put him in charge of this priesthood of wise men, put Daniel in charge of this priesthood of wise men. Now, Chuck Missler adds this. It's interesting. Darius appointed da Are you with me, first of all? Are you with me? I'm getting too deep in the weeds on history. Uh, Darius appointed, Mr. points this out, Daniel, uh, Darius, Darius appointed Daniel, who was a Jew, to head up this hereditary priesthood run by the Medes. This caused jealousy and outrage from the other wise men, and it led to some of these priests plotting to kill Daniel by having him put in a lion's den, okay? But Daniel survived, and that impact was exponential on the king. 
And, and so Darius had the group of priests that had conspired against Daniel, thrown into the lion's den themselves. They were wiped out. And, and listen to Daniel 6, 25 through 28. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the king, the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now this is remarkable. And, and as you can imagine, because he survived the lion's den and this decree went out by Darius, the remaining priest, well, they were pretty loyal to David, uh, Daniel. They didn't, want, they didn't want what happened to the other guys to happen to them. So they were loyal to Daniel, and they trusted in him, and they listened to him. Now, Daniel was a man. I'm going back to the wise men, y'all. Daniel was a man of the word. He studied what the Jews call the Tanakh which included the book of Jeremiah. We know he studied the book of Jeremiah because Gabriel, the angel, was sent by the Lord to help him understand what he was reading. But he also studied part of the Bible that's called the Torah, which are those mosaic books, Genesis through Deuteronomy, containing these prophecies about the seed of the woman and the coming Messiah that would reverse the curse and undo the fall of man. And Daniel taught this information to the remaining magi. What he did, in a sense, is he taught them a Bible study. He got a chart out. And he said, now this is not written yet, but he would start his chart out like this. Search the scriptures. They are they which testify of the Messiah. All the Bible is telling the story of Jesus. And they were looking forward to the Messiah from the very beginning. He would be the, the next Adam, the one that would undo all that the first Adam lost. That was the hope of mankind. And Daniel knew that, and he taught those remaining magi about the prophecies and the coming Messiah. And what he taught stuck with them generation after generation. One of those prophecies was from Numbers 24, 17, and it said, that Messiah's birth would be announced by a star rising in Israel. I'm telling you, the wise man, men in our reading are from that sect of priests. They're the same guys. They had been searching the heavens for that star for the last 500 years. And it, when it rose and when it began to shine, they started planning a trip. And they traveled with pomp and circumstance. The historical evidence indicates that they were accompanied by an army sizable enough to ensure their safe passage through Roman territories. You talk about a logistical undertaking. But they were going to see the king, the one that would be the king of the Jews. That's Abraham's people. That's Daniel's people. They understood that, who would save the world. They were turning their eyes upon Jesus. That's what they were doing. 
and they put their entourage together, and they started this journey, and it was a 1,600-mile journey on foot with horses and camels and donkeys. It took them close to two years to make the trip. Think about that. Think of the trouble they went to. Herod asked when they first saw the star. They calculated from there, and and Herod slaughtered the children two years and younger, meaning they saw the star two years before that. So when the wise man got to Jerusalem, Jesus was already a young child, the Scripture says, and they found him not in a stable but at his house in Nazareth. So you have this giant army, this intimidating army. Herod's freaking out. He doesn't understand why are these Persians here? Why are all these people here? And they're looking for the, I'm the king of the Jews. But he understood the prophecies as well. And he's like, you guys come back and tell me when you find him. Because he wanted to kill him. Just like Cain killed Abel. was under the inspiration of the enemy trying to wipe out God's plan. Herod had that same antichrist spirit. He's like, when you find him, let me know where he is. God warned the wise men in a dream later. And they didn't go tell Herod. But they did go looking for the king of the Jews, looking for Jesus, and they found him at his house, at his house. When Valerie and I were there, I've got a picture here. I've got a screenshot, I think. You can see I'm geotagged in Nazareth, right? Isn't that funny? Nazareth. And and we're at a possible place where it could have been Mary and Joseph's place, and Joseph was a carpenter, which is more likely a stonemason, and so we had this reenactment going on, and we were, we were at the house of Jesus, you know, basically is what the, the, way, the way it was presented to us, like this is Jesus' house. And uh, here's the deal. They, that's what they found. They found the house where he was, and, and they went to a lot of effort to see Jesus. They went through a lot of trouble to see Jesus just to get into his presence. It, it was an expensive journey. It was an exhausting journey. It was an inconvenient journey, but they had to get to him no matter what it cost and no matter what the troubles were. I'm talking about turning your eyes upon Jesus. When you get a glimpse of him, even if it's just out of the corner of your eye, and, and, and you realize in your spirit that this is real, he's real, maybe, this is all true. And he begins to capture your attention with his goodness and his mercy and his kindness. You are willing to put everything else on hold and take the time and make the effort to pursue him with everything that you have. You'll go to the ends of the earth, if you can, to find him. It's like when Moses was on the backside of nowhere. Moses, who had failed the Lord 40 years earlier and was basically banished to the backside of nowhere and he had been a shepherd for 40 years, and he catches a glimpse of a bush burning but not consumed. That bush was a type of Christ. And Moses said, I see something. i got to go check it out. And he turned aside and pursued that burning bush to take a look at it. It's like that. When he gets your attention, in spite of your past failures, which you've gotten wrong in the past, in spite of uh, being on the backside of nowhere, exile, so to speak, you got to catch a glimpse. you got to find him. You've got to turn your eyes on Jesus. Are you with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Now, there's more to this. It's fascinating. There were others that beat the wise men to Jesus if this was a race. There were those who beat the wise men to Jesus. 
The shepherds saw him right after his birth. Angels came and appeared to them and said, hey, guess what just happened? And they took off and they saw the Lord in the stable and they marveled and praised God. The Bible says so. Simeon saw him at eight days old in the temple. And he said, my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord. Anna, a prophetess in the temple, she saw him at the same time, and she gave thanks to the Lord. But when the wise men got to Jesus, listen to this. When the wise men got to Jesus, Matthew 2, 9, 11, again, listen to this. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced, that's not all though, with exceedingly great joy. They didn't just rejoice. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Not with just great joy, but exceedingly great joy. It's redundant. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary's mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. They dropped. to their, These wise men dropped to their knees and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and they presented gifts to him, expensive gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now the shepherds had joy, but the wise men had exceedingly great joy. The shepherds gave of their time and energy, but the wise men opened up their treasures. Do you know why? Because the shepherds had traveled from the fields to the stable, but the wise men had traveled 1,600 miles to get to where Jesus was. Those who traveled the farthest worshiped the most. Come on now. Simeon was grateful. He rejoiced, but he didn't clean out his savings account. Anna was thrilled, but she didn't give her Social Security to Jesus. Why? Because Anna and Simeon, they had traveled from their homes to the temple, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. But the wise men had traveled for years to get to where Jesus was. Those who traveled the farthest worshipped the most. They had come too far to be there empty-handed. Come on now. Come on now. It's like that lady in Matthew 25. She, she turned her eyes upon Jesus. She came into the house of a Pharisee, and she broke open an alabaster box, which had a, a, a year's worth of wages uh, value, and she cracked it open, and she just poured it out on Jesus, and she wept and cried and praised and worshipped him. And the, the people in the room were astonished and offended at her. And the Pharisee is thinking, what? kind of woman is this and why would he receive worship from her and Jesus knowing his thoughts stopped everything and he said you don't know how far she's come you don't know where I, what I've done in her life those who come the furthest worship the most come on give God some praise I feel like I'm looking at some people God's brought you a mighty long way who do you think you are? Just sit there and act like you belong in this place. You've come a long ways by the grace and the mercy of the living God. Come on, give him praise right now. Hallelujah. 
come a mighty long ways. Come to, I've come too far to play church. I've come too far. If you knew where he brought me from and where I am today, then you would understand the reason I love him so. Woo. Those who come the farthest. I mean, that's, man, that's, that's what drives us, isn't it? I know where he brought me from. I know where I deserve to be. I, but I caught a glimpse, and I turned my eyes, and I, could, I couldn't stop following after him and pursuing him. And he's everything he said he would be, and he's even more than I expected. He's been better to me than I deserved and better than I expected. Never turned his back on me. Never done me nothing but good. And so I want to praise him, and I want to worship him and give him all the glory. Come too far. To just play church and not worship Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Come a long ways. Amen. These Gentiles, that's who they were. These wise men. They were not even of the family of Abraham. They were on the wrong side of the tracks. And yet, they came so far and they worshipped him. And they didn't worship him ignorantly. The gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, all had significance. They brought him gold. And where do you think they got this information from? Daniel. Daniel was the source. He was the source. You trace it back. He was their source. He taught them a Bible study. They understood something about the coming Messiah. And so they brought him gold because he was a king, the king of the Jews. And they brought him frankincense because he would be the high priest who would administer the blood of of the sacrifice in the holy of holies. So they brought the frankincense. And they brought myrrh because he would be the sacrifice. And that would be for his death, for his embalming, for his burial. It's, it's amazing. Interestingly, in Isaiah 60 and 6, it speaks of the millennial reign of Christ. Where there will be gold and frankincense brought to him, but no myrrh. Because he lived once died and he lives again forevermore, never to die again. And I want to invite everybody in this place today, if you've never turned your eyes on him, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Please, get your eyes off of the things of this world and turn your eyes on him. Maybe you caught a flicker. I, I've got, I, I don't have the best eyes. These are deceptive. They're Decepticon glasses. Because if you, if, 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 if I wear my, I've got some uh, aviators. If I wear them the way they're shaped, it, they're like that thick. It's unbelievable how thick my lenses really are. Uh, unbelievable. I don't see too good. And I have what they call floaters. Those black things, you know. And I'm like, oh, there's one. Woo! You know, it's like over here floating somewhere. Oh, there it is. I didn't know what it was when I was younger. I'm like, well, oh, I see, I see spots, you know. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's a floater. It's because you got eye issues. And I'm like, oh, there it is. Uh, I, I don't see too well. And, and sometimes I see that floater that that out of the corner of my eye. Sometimes you just catch a glimpse, just a tiny glimpse, and, and it's like maybe he's real. Maybe he is that merciful and he is that forgiving. I'm telling you, if you'll turn 
and pursue him. He's everything he said he would be and even more, even more. Have you found that to be the case? Would you stand with me right now? Hallelujah. They brought gold, frankincense, myrrh. We're baptizing Callie today. And uh, the reason we baptize people is because it's a scriptural command. It's what the Bible says that we're to do. It's part of our response to the gospel. They knew something about the gospel from the Old Testament that Daniel had shared with them. There's, there's a Savior coming. He'll be the light of the world. He's a Savior for the whole world, not just for the descendants of Abraham, but for the whole wide world. And they were pursuing him. They were after him. And they were coming with their praise and their worship, coming to lift him up. I'm telling you, God had a plan for their lives. God has a plan for your life. Amen. God knows exactly where you are today. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about this conclusion. And I, I was, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't want to, sometimes I get grieved that we want to hear a, a little word and and not um, not receive what God has for us in that moment. We want to go eat and, and go be with the family, and, and, I, and we're going to do that. I'm looking forward to eating today. I've got to be honest with you. But we're at the table right now that the Lord has prepared, and God has gifts for you. Gifts of salvation and healing and deliverance. I mean, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God could change your life in the next few minutes. It's just by turning your eyes upon Him, just turning your eyes to Him, just looking to Him, just looking to Him, and, and not the things of this world. This world is crazy. Church can be crazy. Religion can be nuts. People can, can derail but Jesus never fails, never fails. Would you close your eyes with me right now? Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for your word, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, and your kindness.